All right, so this evening we're in the book of 3rd John. If you want to turn in your Bibles, please, with me to the book of 3rd John. 3rd John, we're looking at what the Lord has to say to us. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, your love and grace. We thank you for the truth, Lord, that you have given to us through your Son and through the gospel, Lord, and through the Spirit who lives within us. Lord, we pray that we'd be people as John rejoiced, Lord, to see us walking in truth. Lord, that we'd be people who live the truth from our life, Lord, that we would speak it, Lord, but we would also live it out, Lord. And so we just pray that you continue to stir us, Lord, as we sing, Lord, to, be, to go into all the world, Lord, and to show the love that, Lord, you've given us to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Americans love reality TV, right? Sadly, there's too many reality TVs, uh, TV shows out today. Reality TV has been defined as that genre of television programming that documents purportedly unscripted real-life situations, often starring unfamiliar people rather than professional actors. Now, here's a little trivia thing for you. Reality TV, according to the Guinness World Records, it still does exist, says that the first reality show was actually back in 1948 with Candid Camera. Right? And so, you might not, yeah. So, first reality show, that's the first documented one. Now, there's no reality TV show to show us the daily life of the first century believer, but we do have inspired letters written by the apostles to unfamiliar people who lived real Christian lives like you and I. And we see those in the books of 3 John and the book of Philemon. And so these two short letters show us how believers lived out their faith and spread the gospel and loved others in the midst of a Roman culture. Tonight we're going to focus on 3 John. Now, this episode of Real Christianity, Truth, and Love stars three unfamiliar characters that most people don't really know about. There is Gaius and Demetrius, who walked in witness to the truth. And then there's the fleshly Diotrephes, who rejected the witness of the truth. Now, John, in order to enhance our viewing pleasure here, presents these guys in what I know, what call a truth sandwich here. It's pretty cool. It's, it's like a truth sandwich. We see the walker and witness of the truth first and last. That is, you know, Gaius and, and um, Demetrius. And then we have the carnal diatrophies right in the middle of the sandwich. So he's the meat, right? And so, and so John's going to have some words to say about him. So he, he packages this up this way so that we would say, hey, we need to walk in the truth. Here's how you don't walk in the truth, but here's how you walk in the truth. So he's, he's making it um, clear to us. So as we, as we review each one of these characters, we'll be able to glean some practical instructions from their lives to apply what we learned last week in 2 John, how we walk in the truth. And so John would say, hey, here's how you live it out. Here's some practical ways, and here's some examples of real people like you, real-life situations for you to live it out. And so we need to imitate these good characters, as we'll see, and, and not imitate the evil characters. So let's begin in verses 1 through 8. We see the beloved and godly Gaius. It says, to the elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. And so the apostle John, as we've been seeing so far, is the author of this epistle, 3 John. The content and the style match the books that have been attributed to John. And also, we know that there's different mentions of him by the church leaders who lived close to that time. And so they all ascribe this book to the Apostle John. Some feel this book maybe had been written before 70 AD, but most feel that it was written after 
around 90 to 95 after his gospel was written. So this would be the application of his gospel. If this is the case, then John himself is the elder at this point. He would be around 90 years old. And and the Lord still had a lot of work for him to do. So he was a man at this time who'd been tried and true. The Lord had done an amazing work in his life, and the Lord was going to still use him to be able to give wisdom to these believers. The apostle Peter even called himself an elder. So this could be his title. And the work of an elder, as Peter said, was to shepherd the flock that was among them. It was to feed, lead, and to protect the sheep. And so John was functioning in that ministry. He was the elder, so he was probably overseeing many churches of Asia Minor, and they were coming to him for wisdom, and he was loving them and pastoring them and and feeding them and encouraging them. Now, the recipient of this letter is a guy by the name of Gaius, and we don't really know anything about him besides what we're told in this letter. Now, there are a bunch bunch of people named Gaius in the New Testament. There is Gaius of Macedonia in Acts 19, Gaius of Derby in Acts 20, and Gaius of Corinth, mentioned in the book of Romans 16. Here's a little interesting fact. The name Gaius was actually one of the most popular names in the Roman Empire. So if you're looking for a Roman name, right, there you go, Gaius. You can name your kid that. Now, God places a normal person like Gaius in this book. He brings him out into the inspired word of God, which, which will never pass away for you and I to show us that God uses people like you and I, normal people from unknown places, right, because he's not mentioned, but yet God's able to use them in a mighty way. And that's what God wants to reveal to us. Now, while Gaius was a normal believer, he was not just a number on the church membership list, right? He wasn't just a number or a dot. No, but John loved him. And he even calls him beloved here, to the beloved Gaius. Your translation might say, to my dear friend. But it's talking about his, his love for him, the fact that he was beloved. And he's actually going to use this word for him a, f- a couple times here in verse 1, verse 2, verse 5, and verse 11. Now, this word means dearly loved. And it actually comes from that word agape that we all um, know, right? That sacrificial love, that supernatural love that the Father demonstrated in Christ demonstrated through the cross. Jesus is even called God's beloved son in Matthew three seventeen, And so you and I are God's beloved. That means that he loves you and I as much as he loves Jesus. And the reason why we're God's beloved is because we're in Christ. And Paul says in Colossians 3.12, to the believers who are elect of God, holy and beloved. And so because of our position in Jesus, our faith in him, and God has placed us in Christ, we have all these blessings. We're holy, set apart, and we're beloved of God. That means he loves us as much as he loves his own son. And because we have this love from God, we're to live this love out to others. And that's what John did. John began his last epistle, 2 John, verse, um, in, in verse 1. He said, all who know the truth will love the elect lady and her children like he does. And so knowing the truth will lead us to love others. It, it, it always responds in love. And that's kind of John's focus throughout his letters. And so you and I are beloved, and so because of that, uh, we can love others. Now, as we talk about our love for others, we need to remember that our love is not like wearing rose-colored glasses, right? Oftentimes people say, oh, Christians, you just, you're wearing rose-colored glasses. And that's really not true. Here's how the dictionary defines it. It says a cheerful or optimistic view of things, usually without a valid basis. 
So they're saying, oh, you love people, but there's really no valid basis. People are all messed up. And we say, yes, we're sinners saved by grace, right? The Bible teaches that we do have a valid basis for our love for others. And our valid basis comes from the scriptures because we know the truth. And also we know the God who is love. And the Bible says, if, if you know God who's love, then, well, then you're going to love others. We've been born of God who's love. And Jesus has command us, commanded us to love others. And so as John talks about loving Gaius in truth, he's talking about real genuine love, not just wearing rose-colored glasses towards this guy, but a real genuine love that was motivated from the Holy Spirit living in him. And Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Yes, he reveals his love to us, God does through the scriptures, but also God pours that love out from our life to others. And that's why Jesus in, his, in, you know, in the gospels would say, hey, if God has forgiven you so much, then how can you not forgive your brother? You know, th these little things. It motivates us, it gives us a basis for our love. The truth binds believers together. It's our basis for why we exist as one another. God brings people from all different walks of life, different backgrounds, different personalities, right? And he places us all into one family, one body. And we love one another, and the world sees that, and they say, this must be supernatural, right? Because it's only God who can do that. Now, verse 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. And so John's love is seen here now with a genuine concern for Gaius's overall physical well-being. Now notice this, this verse is a prayer and not a promise for all believers to claim health and wealth. It's a prayer. So this is John's desire. He desires this for him, but he's not saying, hey, Gaius, you need to claim this promise, like the land of Canaan. Go everywhere your foot steps. This is, this is for you, health and wealth. It's not what he's teaching at all. Yes, we should pray, right? And we just had a sweet time of prayer in which we could seek God and pray for our daily bread and lift those things up to him. But ultimately, John tells us in 1 John 5.14 that we have confidence if we ask anything according to God's will, he hears us. And so, yes, we are free to pray out, but God does have a will and a plan for our life. He is, he is working out his will through our free will, through his providence, and he does move on our hearts to pray. So we shouldn't look at this as a blanket check, right, for for Gaius to just, um, you know, health and wealth type of thing as, as some teachers try to misuse this, this verse. Now, the word prosper means to have a good journey, to, to succeed in your endeavor. And John says, hey, I, I, I hope that you would succeed in all things, that is, life in general, that you would just have a general, you know, good, and, you know, that all things would be going well for you. Also, John desired that Gaius would be in good health, now, maybe he wasn't in good health, or maybe he was. We don't know. But either way, John's love for him gave him a genuine concern for his, for his friend. He truly loved him. Now, Kenneth Weiss points out in his commentary, he even gives a number of evidences, that this was a common first-century greeting that people would put in their letters. Like, hey, I hope things are going well for you. It was a common thing. But that doesn't mean that it was not genuine from the Apostle John or that it wasn't really motivated from love. Now, what was not common was how John formed this greeting here. Notice, he prayed that Gaius would be as well off in his physical life as he was in his spiritual life. Notice that. 
it's correlation. He said, man, I, I wish that things would go, be going well for you in your physical life as they are in your soul because God's doing an amazing work in your life. And we know from scriptures, often the two don't correlate, right? Think of the apostle Paul. Think of some of these men of God who have suffered and sometimes God allowed it right, to do a spiritual work. Obviously, God is not the cause of evil in those things. We're, we live in a fallen world and have fallen bodies, right? But nevertheless, God's able to work all things together for good. And so, but nevertheless, John, was, he's highlighting this guy's spirituality here, the fact that this guy is walking in truth, um, as we'll see. Now, the soul is the center of your emotions. It's the center of our mind and emotions, and it's how God works through our regenerated spirit out to the world around us. The soul has been used interchangeably with the mind in Philippians 1.27 and even the heart. And we're told in scriptures that from our heart and from our mind and from our soul, our mouth speaks and our body moves. It's, it's, what, it's what brings out and, 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 you know, and has, has us live out our faith around the world around us. Now the question's been asked, if my physical well-being was in direct correlation to my spiritual well-being, what would be the outcome after that? You know, what would be my physical outcome if it was in direct correlation to my spiritual well-being? It's not a condemnation because there's good news because you're regenerated in Christ, right? So you're born again. You're saved, right? But nevertheless, God is working in our lives, and it's just something to think about and, and meditate on. What, what would be that outcome? Am I, am I growing in my walk with the Lord in, in a spiritual way? Is the new man being renewed daily? Now, as we talk about loving others and truth, I think John gives us a good example here of practical love among the believers, among the body of Christ. You see, because there's two extremes that we can tend to go to as believers. First, we could forsake compassion compassion, and care for others' well-being, right? We just, oh, we don't care. It's after all your physical. You're going to die anyways, right? But good news, you're going to go to heaven, right? And it's like, well, thanks, brother. Appreciate that, right? I feel encouraged now, right? No, the apostles and Jesus all showed a real love and a genuine concern for people, even their physical life. Jesus healed the sick, fed the poor, ministered to those in grief. The apostle Paul was concerned about fellow believers' suffering and struggles, their health. Paul encouraged the sorrowing believers in Thessalonica. He wrote a specific passage that they would not be sorrowful about their loved ones who had died. The Apostle Paul, speaking of Epaphroditus in Philippians 2.27, says, hey man, this guy was with me on a mission trip and he was almost died, he was so sick. And I prayed and God had mercy on him, but God also had mercy on me because if he would have died, I would have been in sorrow. So Paul had a genuine care about him. Paul even told Timothy to drink some wine for his stomach problems. He's like, hey Timothy, I love you, man. You're having all kinds of stomach issues. Why don't you drink some wine for those things, not just, you know, the water. So he had a genuine concern for him. So it's not unspiritual to pray about others' physical well-being. And it's not unspiritual to talk about those things and encourage others. But, of course, in that, we need to make sure that we keep God and his will and focus and the gospel, of course, always comes first. But nevertheless, we can have a genuine concern for people's well-being and needs. The other hand, though, is to beware of materialism and to beware of the health and wealth heresy, which says everything is about the physical life now, and God only wants you to live your best life now, so and that's all you need to focus on, which that's not true at all either. Like Satan, these folks try to use the Bible out of context, right? Take a verse and then spin it off to get their own means. No, like Jesus in Mark chapter 2, we deal with the spiritual need of a person first, right? The paralytic as he came down. Jesus dealt with the spiritual needs first. 
But Jesus also dealt with the man's physical needs as well. And so that's what we do as the body of Christ with one another. Verse 3, For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. The word for here shows us that the testimony of the brethren who came to John was the basis of both John's joy and his knowledge of Gaius's prosperous soul. So how did John know this? Was it like divine revelation? No. The guys came and told him, hey, man, this guy's loving people. And so this guy, and John must know, oh, this guy's really growing in his walk with the Lord. Now, we don't know John's specific location at this point. He probably was around Ephesus, though, in the area of Asia Minor. And at this time, there was a lot of traveling missionaries and preachers and evangelists and servants going from different place to place. Oftentimes, the churches would send them with a little commendation letter to say, hey, go and do this work over there. And they would come to the believers in, at, at these different cities. And of course, there was no local buildings they could meet at, so they met in different churches. And so there could have been a m- number of different churches in this area. One maybe met at Gaius' house. Another one is probably meeting at Diotrephes' house. But these guys, as they passed through and they stayed with Gaius and Gaius ministered to them, they all had the same testimony as they were coming to John. Hey, we met this guy Gaius, and he is just walking with the Lord, and he loved us this way. And John said, oh, I know that he's growing with the Lord. I know he's walking in truth. And it gave John great joy to, to hear that. Verse 4, for I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. John rejoiced to hear of Gaius' spiritual state. Nothing gave him greater joy than to see his children walking in truth. Now, his children here refers to born ones, those who are born again. And he calls them my children. These are believers that John led to the Lord and saw them raise up. He discipled them. And now he sees them walking in maturity, living out their faith in practical ways. And it just brought, it brought John joy to, to um, see this. Now, concerning love, the Apostle Paul tells us in that famous wedding passage, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked. Thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And so love does not rejoice in iniquity. That is malice. Rather, love rejoices in truth. And John was loving in truth, so he wasn't jealous or, 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 or anything about the blessing that he heard about his brother's life and what God was doing in his life. It caused him to rejoice. You see, in the world, we live in a world of competition, right? You might experience this at the workplace. You might get a promotion or, God might, or you know, something might happen in your life where you know, you're something good and they're oh, people are all mad and angry about it. You're like, whoa. And that's, what, that's kind of the response of the flesh. People get angry at someone's, you know, he, you know some, what God is doing, right? At their blessings. But not in Christ. No, love rejoices in someone's growth. Love rejoices in someone's blessing. So, hey, God's blessing a church. They're a biblical church and they're growing. Hey, praise the Lord. We should rejoice in that. We're not in competition with people, right? We're seeking the Lord and serving him in truth. And we should love others and rejoice in, in their blessings. And, then, and Paul here as or excuse me, John here as a pastor, this, this was his desire that his children walked in truth. Now, Paul tells us that there is something that grieves a pastor, and that's when his children don't walk in truth, right? He wrote the book of 2 Corinthians and said, man, out of much affliction, I wrote this to you guys because you guys weren't walking in love, 
and walking you know, in holiness. And I was so sorrowful over that. And so, yes, the greatest thing for a pastor to see is people walking in truth, but the most sorrowful thing is to hear of behavior that's not walking in truth. The writer of Hebrews realized this, and this is why he said in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. The writer of Hebrews says, hey, you know, these guys were struggling, these Hebrews. He says, hey, man, these guys who the Lord has raised up, they live their lives for you. Hey, let them do so with joy. You know, follow the leading of what God's doing, right? Walk in truth and don't cause grief. Gaius caused John joy. He was one of those guys in the joy category, right? As, as John saw his life, he was in the encouragement folder, right? And not in the discouragement folder, which typically sometimes that, that grows in the ministry, right? Verse five, beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for the strangers. And so Gaius was faithful to serve and support the traveling believers, whether he knew them or not. Now, of course, we know that he used discernment, as we saw in the last letters. A person needed to walk the line of the doctrine of Christ, and if they didn't hold to the doctrine of Christ, well, then they weren't to receive them in their homes. But these believers were walking in the truth. They had letters, no doubt, of uh, commendation from John. And so he was receiving them in, in his house, whether he knew them or not. Now, Gaius's ministry is not given on a scale, right? There's no production metrics, right, for us to review. Like, well, let's see how he's really doing on this metric scale. How big is his ministry? Let's measure it. John doesn't give us any of that. But rather, he commends him for being faithful in whatever he does, because that's really the test. Not how big your ministry is or how powerful it is or even how, you know, effective it is. It's how faithful are you. And one day, we're going to stand in front of Jesus And Matthew 25, 21 says that we want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And Gaius was faithful in all that God had put before him, whether big or small, but also it speaks to the fact that his life lived up to the truth. He was living out what the Bible taught, and that caused John joy. He says, man, you're walking faithfully in in the things that you're teaching and preaching. Verse 6, who have borne witness of your love before the church, If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. So the truth that John taught here was being witnessed to, you know, by everybody in the life of Gaius. So John was talking about walking in love, walking in truth, and these guys knew that. And when they went to Gaius' house, they saw it lived out in a practical way, and they came back and they told John these things. And as I said, it caused John to rejoice. Now, the way that he showed this love was through hospitality. That's what it is. It was through hospitality. As these traveling preachers would come on the scene, he would open up his home to them. He would minister to them spiritually. They would probably fellowship with the church. They would, you know, they would give the ministry that they were sent to give. And then he would encourage them, give them the resources, and then they would move on. And this was the blessing that John was talking about. And John said they should support these guys because they went forward and they should do so in a manner worthy of God. And if you do that, you do well. Now, in a manner worthy of God means as unto God. That's what it means. John says, hey, if you treat these guys, you know, with hospitality, you're doing it as unto God, as if Jesus, as if God was coming to your door. This is how you should be ministering to people. 
And this is how we should look at our ministries. Whatever we do, whatever God has given us, something small or something big, we're doing it for Jesus, right? We're doing it for the Lord. And so because of that, we're doing it as unto him in a manner worthy of God. Jesus again says in Matthew 25, 44 and 45, then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. But on the other hand, those who did do that did it to Jesus. And so the Lord said, hey, if you give somebody a cup of cold water in my name, it's as you're doing it to me. The Apostle Paul, who was known as Saul of Tarsus, he realized the other aspect of that when he was on the road to Damascus to go persecute Christians. Right? And he saw the light around him. He heard the voice. And he said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, it's me. I'm the one you're persecuting, Saul. And so Saul was actually persecuting Christians, and so therefore he was persecuting Jesus because we're connected, right, in that way as his body. And so we minister to others as if we're ministering to Jesus. How, if Jesus showed up to my house, how would I serve him? Or if Jesus was coming to my Sunday school class, how would I prepare to minister to him? Well, obviously, he knows all things, right? But, but, you know, but we would minister to him in such a way that would be excellent, and that would be good. And that's what these believers were to do. Verse 7, because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. And so Gaius was to continue to support these teachers for a couple reasons. Number one, their ministry was biblical. They went out for the sake of the name. So these guys were doing ministry in the name of Jesus. It was a biblical ministry. It was, it was something that they should get behind. It was, it was established, and it was laying the foundation of the church. Second, it was their calling. You see, these missionaries did not depend on non-believers, right? They were not dependent on these Gentiles, people outside the church, but they were dependent upon believers to be able to support their ministry. And, so, and by doing that, they were actually supporting the ministry in general. And third, the ministry was endorsed by trusted church leaders. It was endorsed by the Apostle John, and so they can be, get behind it. The Bible encourages believers to support their church. First, our local church, right, as we support the ministry, because that's what the Lord uses, right, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And at times, God does lead us by his Spirit to support ministries outside the church. And in those times, we should pray about which ministries are biblical which ministries are trustworthy. And if you have questions, well, then you can ask the leaders of the church, like, hey, do you recommend this ministry? I don't know much about them. They're Mormons. Should I support them? Answer is no, right? <laughs> Type of thing, right? And so, and, so, and so, you know, so there's godly counsel and there's godly wisdom because there's a lot of fakes out there, right? And so, um, and so these guys were, were trustworthy. Verse 8, we therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers of the truth. And so God does call believers to serve in different capacities. God calls evangelists and preachers and teachers to go out and to do the work of the ministry in this sense. But God also calls believers to support, to be able to provide for the work of the ministry. And that's what John's talking about Gaius here. He was a guy who provided for the ministry. And because of that, he became a fellow worker for the truth. So he wasn't out doing the work of these traveling missionaries but he would be rewarded as just as if he was out doing the work. And so it's a blessing that they share in it. And Jesus talks about this, receiving a cup of cold water and receiving a prophet's reward and a righteous man 
you know, receiving a righteous man's reward. And so we, we share in these blessings and these ministries. It's the fruit that we have. Now we see the disobedient dictator Diotrephes in verses 9 and 10. But I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. And so John wrote some letters to the church about supporting these teachers, and he sent it with a saint to this church that, where Diotrephes was. And as soon as he got there, he didn't receive the letter. And rather, he even pushed them away, said, I don't want that. Go, go ahead and go. We're, we're, we're good here. Can you imagine doing that to the Apostle John? John said he didn't receive us. He was rejecting the ministry and the missionaries sent by the Apostle himself. The motive behind this man was not discernment or truth, but it was a love of preeminence. The love of preeminence was his desire to be first, to be motivated by the flesh. And he was seeking to push people away so he can establish his authority, his rule, and, and his way. It was all a means of ministering in the flesh. Verse 10, therefore, if I come, I'll call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words and not content with that. He himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. So if John found a way in the will of God, he was going to come and deal with him. Now notice, John doesn't tell Gaius to deal with him. So maybe Gaius was involved with another fellowship. And maybe Gaius was already aware of this. But John said, hey, I'm going to come as the, as the elder. I'm going to deal with him. Don't worry about that. But you need to continue to do what you're doing and continue to minister, encourage your fellowship in that way. And when John came, he would bring up three accusation, accusations against him. First, pratting against the apostles and the missionaries with malicious words. He was speaking evil about these guys. Second, he didn't receive the messengers or the message that was being sent. And those who did or want to receive these guys or this message, he was excommunicating them from his church. He was kicking them out. And so John said, I'm going to come. I'm going to deal with this guy. And um, you know, we don't know, you know if he did or not, but um, we're not told anything about him after this letter. Verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does, does evil has not seen God. And so God has raised up shepherds for us to imitate Christ. And also believers are called to follow in line and follow the leading of their leaders, right? They're shepherds. And these guys were two examples. One, they were to follow. Hey, follow the example of Gaius. He's walking in truth. He's living out what has been passed down and taught. On the other hand, don't follow the example of Diotrephes. He's not walking in truth. One was in line with the truth, which was motivated by the Spirit, and the other one was in the flesh. Now, this is not saying that Diotrephes was an unbeliever. He probably was a believer, but yet he was operating in the flesh, and he needed to be corrected in that way. Now, third, in verse 12, we see the witness of the truth, the devout Demetrius. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our witness is true. So now we're introduced to a man by the name of Demetrius, and he was described as being a good witness. He was walking in the truth. And in the Old Testament, a witness or a fact was established by three things, by three truths. And so John gives us three truths here to show us that this guy is a good example to receive and to follow. We're told that he had a good testimony that could be verified by all the believers. It wasn't just something he talked about. It was something that they could verify that he actually lived out 
among them. And this is what Paul, uh, John talks about in 1 John 3, 16 through 19. He says, hey, anybody can say that they love their brother, but love should be worked out in practical ways in deed and truth. And Demetrius lived that way. Second, Demetrius' life was in line with the truth in that he lived consistently with the scriptures and what he preached. And third, the apostle John bore witness to him. Right? So the apostle was putting his stamp of approval. He says, yes, this guy, he's, he's one that you should follow and, and um, you know, have his leading. So finally, in verses 13 through 14, we see John's conclusion to Gaius. He says, I have many things to write to you, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. There was a lot more that John could say in this letter, but the Holy Spirit wasn't leading him to say it. And as we minister to people, there are things that we should say, right, that the Holy Spirit leads. And then sometimes if the Lord doesn't put things on your heart, maybe those things aren't what we should say, right? So we just be led by the Spirit as we minister one to another, and that's what John was doing here. The Spirit was putting these things on his heart. He had a specific message about hospitality, about who to follow. And the rest, he said, I'll come and talk to you later face to face and instruct you. And John did hope to, to see him. John closes with a shalom and a shout out, right? That's, that's John's ending, a shalom and a shout out. He says, hey, peace to you, right? Which is the, the common Jewish greeting. And then he gives some shout outs from his friends that are with him. Hey, the friends greet you and also greet the friends by name. These are the friends of God. So, they, so therefore they were the friends of John. And so once again, we see this love here, right? This, this binding love of these friends these fellow servants of the Lord, and they were to continue to do this in a practical way. So in summary of this episode of Real Christianity, Truth, and Love, we learned do not imitate diatrophies, but rather were to imitate Gaius, who was a walker of the truth, and Demetrius, who was a witness of the truth. Both these men lived out love in a practical way. But on the other hand, diatrophies rejected the truth. He was living in pride and error.